0: Well, okay, today I'm going to do something that's a little bit off from what I've ever done, ever in the past. I know I said I was maybe going to talk a little bit more about race last week, but I think I'm done with that. If you guys want any other scripture references that I kind of was going to go over, you can ask me. But um, a little bit next month in March, I'm probably either going to be start talking about the theory of evolution... Or I may be talking about um, roles of men and women or those kind of things. I'm not sure yet. You know, and I know those subjects may take two or three weeks. Um, so this week, since the whole, since my whole Sunday School thing is called Culture Clash, I'm actually going to talk today a little bit about the, the, what you'll often hear, separation of church and state, and in those matters because if you're a christian proclaiming your faith in this culture you're always going to be confronted with this whole issue now just imagine a few a couple of these scenarios here you and some christians are at the local coffee shop and you got your bibles open and you're doing a little bible study and you know the local karen you know comes over with her um you know love wins mask and she comes up to you and says hey what are you guys doing you can't be doing this you know why you have your bibles open this is public area don't you know there's a separation of church and state or you may be at your you know thanksgiving dinner and your uncle gary is overhearing you talking to one of your relatives about how you led um, the high school football game in prayer after the game and how that was a good experience and you know he's retired. And he watches MSNBC all day, and he comes over to you and be like, "How can you can't do that? You know that's a violation of you know church and state." And you know how dare you do that? What? How does it make all of the atheist football players feel? You know, so you might get that, or you might be sharing some gospel tracks down in the 400 block, and um, you know, leftist Larry who just got done with his freshman year of um college at madison comes up to you with his che Guevara t-shirt and he says hey bro what are you doing you can't come you can't be doing this on public land there's separation of church and state bro you can't do this so how how are you going to respond to those things you know because i've had you know a few of those instances i remember i was in the whole first situation me and a few guys used to meet a long time ago for a few years there at a local starbucks um and we would um, just go, we would have a memory verse each week, and we'd have our Bibles open, and we were just, you know, about four or five of us, and we were just kind of sharing with each other, and um, this one guy did come up to us one time, and he says, uh, I'd appreciate it if you guys, you know, just took this, you know, somewhere else, don't you got a church or a home that you guys can do, this Bible study at? you guys can't be doing this here, don't you know, there's a separation of church and state, so... Since I am calling this culture clash, this is just a one week thing that I kind of wanted to talk about. You know, because of all the effects today to secularize, secularize our culture, you're going to get this argument that is going to come up. So I think we should have possibly a proper understanding of where this whole notion kind of comes from but what it actually really means and I'm also going to give just maybe a little bit of history kind of you know with some of the founding documents and this kind of thing so it may sound a little bit more almost like a civics you know lecture and things but I'm not going to get all to intricacies of what I believe the government should you know be in the place of all these kind of things and some of my own thoughts I'm just kind of going to go over a little bit of the history about it. So, this whole thing, this separation of church and state, is basically built upon a false premise and understanding of also what is known as the Establishment Clause. And you'll hear that. Well, you can't come in here. We have the Establishment Clause. And the Establishment Clause, i.e., is the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof." So, there are many examples of this false understanding today. Again, just like I kind of talked about, you know, the high school football games. There was, you know, a whole big thing that came before the Supreme Court, you know, about a month or two ago, about some high school football player or coach who was, I think he was getting fired or something like that. He fought the case and he actually won. And with, you know, I don't know if you remember about 20 years ago in front of the Alabama state um, court, you know, they took down the whole big monument of the Ten Commandments. So, this is something that is a battle that kind of rages here in our culture. So, if you listen long enough, to people like the um, Americans, there's a whole organization, Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and then from the most famous, the ACLU, um, the American Civil Liberties Union, or the American Communist Lawyers Union. You know, if you listen to them long enough, you'll become pretty much convinced that the bedrock principle of our culture was government's hostility toward all things Christian, if you listen to it. So religion is fine as long as it's confined. And you often hear that. Hey, why don't you just keep that stuff over in your church or in your home, but it has no place you know, out here. Why are you talking about there? You know, It's fine as long as it's confined, but don't bring it ever out into the public. Supposedly, our nation's founders were determined to build an unscalable wall that would keep out any type of religious influence in seeping into public life. Which is not the case. So many are convinced that the wall, the phrase, the wall of separation in church and state is found in the Constitution. It's not. So where did this come from? Does anybody know where this came from? This whole this whole phrase, a wall of separation of church and state? Well, it came in 1801. In 1801, so right after you know the founding of this nation and right after the Constitution in 1787, then the Bill of Rights, which was in 1789, in 1801 there was a group of Baptists that lived in Danbury, Connecticut. Um, And they were hearing a rumor spreading throughout New England that the congregational denomination was about to be established as the national denomination of the United States. So just as the Church of England is, or what we call Anglicanism is, so the Church, and many of these people have, you know, their parents and their grandparents fled England because of this whole thing. Because if you didn't worship in the way that the King of England and the Crown of England wanted you to worship, you know, you were basically ostracized, you were imprisoned. Some people were even tortured and, you know, put to death. So this national denomination that they thought was going to come into existence, well, what about then their Baptist faith, which was different than the congregation? What about the Methodists? What about the Presbyterians and other denominations? Would they be deemed inferior and outlawed then altogether? Of course, again, they heard the stories of their forefathers, you know, about the established religion and church in England. And they knew that those who didn't follow the dictates, you know, could face imprisonment, torture, and even death. So their forefathers fled England. Now this is, their forefathers fled England to be free, not to, not to be free from religion, but to have the freedom of religion. So they were leaving England not to be free from religion, but had to have the freedom of religion and worship to the according of the dictates of what they wanted to do. So they were alarmed that there was going to then become possibly a Church of the United States, just like the Church of England or the Church of Scotland. As a result, they contacted the then President Thomas Jefferson about the rumor. And Jefferson subsided their fears in a letter addressed to the Danbury Pap- Baptists on January 1st, 1802 in which the following statement was made. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. So Jefferson's words were given to to reassure these Connecticut Baptists that the First Amendment was established not to protect the government from the church but to protect the church from the government. So that's kind of a key understanding. The First Amendment was established not to protect government from the church but to protect the church from the government. Now, I don't know if anybody has any initial kind of comments or questions on anything of this so far. Adam, looks like you're thinking about something. I'll I'll let you go a little bit. Okay, all right, all right. So so many today then try to use this phrase, you know, separation of church and state, to restrict religious expression. So again, if you're in the coffee shop... You can't, and you would maybe pray, you know, or whatever. You can't do that. Or if you have a high school football game, and then the coach wants to pray after the game, they would say, "Well, no, see, you can't do that." Well, again, that's not what it's for. Jefferson used the phrase not to restrict, but to reassure this group that the believers that the government would never be able to restrain their religious freedom by mandating a one-state-sponsored denomination. So the Constitution, again, makes no claim that there should be no God in state. The Constitution doesn't make that claim There, there should be no God in the state. So you see, Congress, Congress shall not make an establishment of religion. So the House and the Senate can't get together and say, we're going to have this, and this is going to be you know, um, the national denomination. So Congress shall not make an establishment of religion like the Church of England or the Church of Scotland. It had nothing to do with keeping God out of government. Now, and I'm going to try to, you know, make that case. But before we get to some of that, I just want to go through some of these stats that I got. You may find it boring, but I actually find it kind of... Did you know that the separation of the government powers prescribed in the U.S. Constitution was based on Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two, For the Lord our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. So the Lord is our judge, that's where you get the judicial, the law is our lawgiver, that's the legislature, and the Lord is our king, that's executive. The separation of powers, the founding fathers' reason, was mandated by man's innate corruption based on an understanding of Jeremiah 17 now, one thing I want to say is I know that not all of the founding father guys were Christians. Even Thomas Jefferson himself was a, you know, a blasphemer if you listen to things that he said. And I know Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Paine and all these guys. So I'm not making the claim that all of these guys, you know, were Christians. But they had a biblical world substructure understanding of the world and of morality would it be orthodox reform baptist theology no <laughs> you know but they had a somewhat of an understanding of morality and of God based on principles of the Bible so the idea of granting tax-exempted status to churches and religious organizations was based on Ezra 724 and that says we Also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on anyone to the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, and other servants of this house of God. So the idea, again, of gaining tax-exempt status for churches and other religious organizations was based on Ezra 724, which commanded special financial consideration for the building of the temple. Um. So many of the founding fathers were also responsible for establishing what was called the American Bible Society, the American Tract Society, and the Philadelphia Bible Society. Now, John Adams, who again wouldn't be a friend of Trinitarian theology, but he said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So, but yes, the Constitution doesn't ever mention the name of God or Jesus Christ. Technically, that is true. Now, the Declaration of Independence does, where it says, you know, God is creator. I know that may be a generic term. They say God is creator. He's endowed men, you know, and he talks in the Declaration, they also say that God is the judge of all men. But yes, the Constitution does not ever mention Jesus or God. Technically, yes, that is true. But if you read the Constitution, it says that on s- the president has 10 days in which he can sign a law or veto a law, but Sundays are exempted. Well, okay, well, why Sundays? Why not Fridays like the Muslims? Why not Saturdays for the Jews? Why is Sunday exempted? Why can't I go down to City Hall right now and open the doors? Well, they're closed. Well, why? Why are they closed on Sunday? Why aren't they closed on Monday or Tuesday? Well, there's a reason for that. So, and it says at the end of it that the Constitution was done anno domine in the year of our Lord, 1787. Well, why? What is that? Why? So, if it was a secular nation going to be based upon secular principles, why didn't it do what France did after the French Revolution in their secular godlessness in the French Declaration of the Rights of Man they basically started a new calendar with the year number one. They didn't want anything to do at all with the Judeo, the calendar, you know, in the year of our Lord. So, in the French Declaration of the Rights of Men, they started their brand new calendar with the year number one. And they started the calendar also, they eliminated then a seven day week, because, well, they got that from the Bible, so we don't want that. And they got rid of that and went to a 10 day week. They also We also get the decimal system from the French with that. So, and then why in treason, if somebody commits treason, there has to be an established two or three witnesses. Where did that come from? There's something in the Bible that talks about that. And why were payments of debt required to be in gold and silver? So, but in the lead up both to the writing of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, there were national days of prayer and thanksgiving that were signed by the president. So, and on the day of the passing of the First Amendment, so on the day that the First Amendment, also known as the Bill of Rights, was passed, they thanked God for giving them the opportunity to pass this amendment. But isn't it absurd to think here that they are passing an amendment that would exclude God and then thanking God for excluding him? So we thank you God that you know we were able to pass this amendment which is going to exclude you and we thank you that we're excluding you. So the, all the 50 state constitutions in their preamble mention God. If you wanted to be a member of the North Carolina legislature You couldn't even be a member of the North Carolina legislature unless you held to the inspiration under oath that you believe the Old Testament and the New Testament were the inspired writings of God. And then also in the Delaware, if you were going to um, be in the Delaware Constitution, it said, Every person who shall be chosen a member, either appointed to this house or appointed on an office or place of trust, shall make and subscribe to the following declaration. I do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore. I do acknowledge the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be given by inspiration of God. So if you wanted a whole office also in Delaware, you had to swear an oath and subscribe to that. So again, I'm just trying to make the case here that there are some things here that, when people start talking about this whole wall of separation of church and state, if they actually went back and understood a lot of the history of this, they would see that the claims that they're you know making, I don't think, hold water. So you know, again, many today again use that phrase, but again, the phrase isn't to restrict us in our religious expression, but to reassure us that the government cannot restrain our religious freedom and make a one state denomination. So again, I say this with confidence you know, because of the aforementioned things, but first let's consider Thomas Jefferson's own actions and words. So one year after the above quoted letter came with the phrase separation between church and state, Jefferson recommended that the U.S. Congress sign a treaty with the Kaskia Indians that included government financial support to missionaries to the Indians and declare that certain parcels of land be reserved for Christian Indians. And he did this three times during his presidency. Why did he do this? Well, I believe he understood the importance of integrating government in christianity he said religion is deemed in other countries incompatible with good government yet it is proved by experience and logic to be its best support so again if you know thomas jefferson didn't want anything you know in this the separation of church and state why then was he granting you know money to these missionaries and then you know under legislative powers and then why was he granting that these Indians given parcels of lands who were Christians if he was, wanted this wall of separation. In 1799, the Maryland Supreme Court in the case of Runkle v. Weinmiller said in its decision, by our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion and all denominations of Christians are placed upon the same equal footing and are entitled to protection in their religious liberty. So this is the Maryland Supreme Court saying this in 1799. So if you listen, our government, form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion, and all denominations of Christians are placed under the same equal footing and are entitled to protection in their religious liberties. Now, the first, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, that was passed in 1789. This is only 10 years after that so this court said that our national nation has established religion and it was christianity were these justices ignorant of the first amendment that just had been ratified 10 years earlier and what were they doing talking about this if somebody said this today they would they would be put out but just 10 years and they had a better understanding this was only 10 years after the fact so again, were they ignorant of the First Amendment and what had just been ratified 10 years earlier? Well, no, I don't think so. In fact, these justices were much better positioned to understand the original intent of the Constitution that the framers had in mind than us now living 240 years later. I mean, they were contemporaries of these guys. They could just go you know, 50 miles down the road and talk to the same guys who just signed this and say, hey, what do you mean by this? What, what are you guys talking about? So if they had any question about the First Amendment and actually what that meant, they could personally consult those who drafted the amendment themselves. They were contemporaries. So, and I have some more here going on, but is there any other, any questions or comments or any of this? You can get to this, but if if, uh, in the Constitution there's no reference of God or Christ in there... Mm -hmm. Well, I know as far as putting the hand on the Bible, of course, George Washington did that. And, you know, there was no um, mandate or anything to say you had to do those things. But, you know, that was, you know, and then that kind of started to take precedence where people would, you know, do that when they swore their oath, they would put their hand upon the Bible. Even there was, you know, but there was no law or anything saying that you have to do that. You know, I believe, you know, just from the start, you know, um, there was... A biblical worldview and understanding within this nation i mean if you go to washington dc and even like philadelphia i mean there's scripture you know everywhere you know now if this whole thing the wall of separation you know and you know why why were they doing this how could this actually be you know but again it wasn't to restrict religious expression but to reassure that the government would never come in like the government can't come in these doors right now and say hey why are you guys doing this you can't do this start doing it this way we can do it how we want you know but we can be able to go down anywhere and we should be able to preach the Bible and talk about Christ go outside of abortion clinics and you know say whatever we want to say the government can't restrict us in that right and they can't come in here and tell us what we you know can do so You know, but, yeah, I mean, even from the earliest days, I mean, even if you read, um, I know this was a long time before, but the Mayflower Compact, you know, when the pilgrims came here and they said, you know, they went on this expedition to, you know, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into glorified glorify Jesus Christ. Now, I know that as time went on, you know, there needs to be a great awakening, right? Because a lot of people in this land, it just became, I believe, dead, cold, mechanical orthodoxy. Then in the mid-1700s, we had the great awakening because I think there needed to be one. But I think some of the thoughts behind some of the great awakening and stuff, you know, kind of, I think, maybe inspired, you know, some of the founding beginning parts of our nation, and the revolution and stuff like that, you know so I just think it was already just inherent you know within this nation that you know these things were such. you know everybody had basically a biblical kind of understanding and worldview of morality and man, and that there was a God again, were all of them confessional. You know, solid Reform Baptist? No. You know, like I said, you know, um, I don't even believe Tom, Thomas Jefferson wasn't a Christian. A lot of these guys weren't, but I believe the worldview that undergirded the foundation of this nation and made it so we can be here even this morning and even talking freely like this has to do with what I've originally have kind of said. You know, you can't, you couldn't do this in North Korea or in the Soviet Union or even a lot of European nations now. You know, so what we're even, you know, doing here this morning and the fact that we're even free to do this, that, you know, you can have a March for Life in Washington, D.C., that you can have, you know, people, you know, spreading the gospel on the street corners here, you know, I believe actually has to do with what originally happened here in this whole, you know, in the whole First Amendment type thing, Tommy, did you? Oh no, it didn't. All right. Adam. <laughs> Yeah. Again, if you remember, it's it's the phrase, the whole separation of church and state, is never to restrict our religious expression and what we can do, but it's given to reassure us that the government can't come in and start telling us what to do. You know, again, just like the Church of England, you know, the, the king is the head of the church in England. No, Christ is the head of the church in his word tells us what we're to do and this is why john bunyan for example was in prison for all those years because the church of england was telling him hey we'll let you out at any time you just be quiet you can't preach anymore because you're a baptist preacher and you're not preaching in conformity to what the church of england is telling you to do so shut up and then we'll let you go. And he said, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach what God has told me to preach through his word, and I'm not going to be bound by you. Okay, well, then you'll still be in prison here. <laughs> he could have got out at any time by just simply saying, okay, I give up. I won't do it anymore. I'll do it the way you guys want. And But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's why we can stand here today, and I don't have some the president in Washington D.C. telling us how we're going to worship here today we have that freedom that reassures us that the government can't come through these doors and tell us what we're going to have to do that's what that was for it wasn't at all to keep me out from I can go down to Madison or Washington D.C. right now and have a big sign that says Jesus is Lord repent and believe and they can't tell me no you can't do that there's a you know I can do that all I want I can express my religion and my freedom any way that I want, and the government can't tell me, no, you can't do that.
1: I also mentioned that this encroachment of the government requiring state permits Mm -hmm. is also a a slope that is now violating
0: See, I mean, you know, England, of course, 400 years ago, especially during the time of the Pierce, was the bastion of Christianity and where truth came from in the Westminster Confession. Now, I don't know if any of you heard of this. About two months ago, there was just some lady in London, I believe it was in London, she was just outside of an abortion clinic and she was just silently praying. She wasn't, you know, holding up any signs and being all routed. She was just silently praying. And the police came and arrested They asked her, "What are you doing?" And they, she said, "I'm praying." And they said, "Why? For what?" She's like, "I'm praying for the unborn, you know, children in this place that are being killed." And they arrested her just for praying silently, you know. And as you see, a lot of the things that are going on in Canada right now, there was a guy who went to MacArthur Seminary. And, um, you know, he was preaching out against homosexuality and they took him out and he was, I think, in jail for like three or four months and, you know, he had no due process, he had nothing. They just, you know, came and took him and threw him in jail for three or four months and he wasn't allowed really any communications at all or anything like that. So, you know, that's just up to the north. And believe me, if there's a lot of people in our government right now, if they could get their way, this place would be locked up, we would be silenced and... They would probably like a lot of us to just probably die, you know. So, you know, it's, you know, I believe as secularism keeps creeping in and creeping in, you know, I believe at some point we as Christians here in America, which we've never had to experience this. This has been the only nation ever in the history of the church where we've had this freedom. You know, nobody really ever in the history of the United States has had to shed his blood through beatings or torture or being killed for their faith. This is really the only, if you read all of church history, this is the only time and place in the history of the church where we have had this freedom. But I believe it's slowly going to be ebbing away as a judgment of God against us. And we need to be willing to, you know, stand for that. You know, because there may be coming a time, especially in, you know, the younger people in this room in their lives where they possibly may have to face that. If not, maybe even us at this at some point. But So I just want to go on a little bit. In 1811, the Chief Justice of the New York Supreme Court said this. So he was a Chief Justice of the New York State Supreme Court. He said, We are a Christian people, and the morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity, and not upon the doctrines of worship of those imposter religions. (laughs) Imagine if some guy said this today. Imagine if the guy of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court got up and said, we're Christian people, and the morality of this country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity and not upon the doctrines of worship of the imposter religions. What if somebody... That was in New York, yeah. (laughs) So uh, that was in 1811. So, I mean, if you just think about that, that was only like 210 years ago, that was it. You know, and I'll look at where we're at. In 1844, there was a case in Pennsylvania. It was the case of Vidal versus Girard. This case dealt with a man, Stephen Girard, who left his estate to the city of Philadelphia for the establishment of a college. So this guy, he had a lot of money, and when he died, he wanted to leave this estate in the city of Philadelphia to establish a college. In his will, this guy Stephen Gerard stated that this college he wanted, though, he wanted the professors of this college to seek to instill principles of morality in the students, but without any reference to the Bible or Christianity. Does that sound familiar? So I want to erect this college, and I want to instill morality and virtue in the students, without the Bible and without Christianity. So this went to the Supreme Court. So let's hear what the unanimous opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court said in rejecting the notion of separating morality from Christianity. So this is what the Supreme Court said to said to this in this case about this guy trying to set up a college with no reference to God, no reference to Christianity, but we're going to set up morality and virtue. Christianity is not to be maliciously and openly reviled and blasphemed against to the annoyance of Christians. It is unnecessary for us, however, to consider the establishment of a school or college for the propagation of deism or any other form of infidelity." So the Supreme Court said, We're, you know, this is annoying Christians, this is malicious, and it's reviled, and it's blaspheming, it's unnecessary for us, however, to consider, even to consider the establishment of a school or college for the propagating of deism. Deism is just, well, yeah, there was a God, and he wound up the universe like a clock, then he left it, and he's gone, and he's, he's not involved with the universe at all, and he's not involved in any daily life. There is a God that wound up the universe like a clock, then he set off to the side, and now he's in Never Never Land, and he doesn't care about anything. So it's not to, to propagate deism or any other form of infidelity. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. This was the U.S. Supreme Court. It went on to say, what we may, why may not the Bible, especially the New Testament, be read and taught as it is a divine revelation in the school? Let its general principles be expounded, its evidence be explained, and its glorious principles of morality be inculcated. Where can the purest principles of morality? be learned so clearly and so perfectly as from the pages of the New Testament. (laughs) So this is what the U.S. Supreme Court said in this case. So according to the U.S. Supreme Court, attempting to separate the teaching of Christianity from the teaching of morality was not only impossible, it was unnecessary since they said this was a Christian nation. Now, again, this was in 1844, and the U.S. Supreme Court said this in this case against this guy. So, and then about 50 years later, in 1892, the U.S. Supreme Court also reaffirmed our nation's Christian foundation when it said, no purpose of action against religion can be imputed to any legislation, state or national, because this is a religious people, this is a Christian nation. So, Again, so I believe that the case is fairly tight here. That when people start coming at you about, you can't say this, we have the Establishment Clause, there is a wall of separation of church and state, that they ultimately don't know what they're talking about. They don't know their history. And you hear this all the time. You know, you'll hear it all the time on news outlets, on MSNBC, and you know, CNN and all, you know, even on local news, you're just going to hear this constantly. And you'll be challenged on it if you are outspoken in your faith. You'll hear this from somebody, well, there's a wall of separation of church and state. So since I've been labeling this whole teaching called Culture Clash, I just kind of wanted to teach one week on this just so you would possibly have a little bit more of a better understanding of what this actually is and how to actually, you know, battle it. Um, and again, I'm not under the false premise, you know, that um, you know everybody, you know, was a Christian. Even one guy who was the um, vice president, his name was Anthony Burr. I, he was an atheist and Thomas Paine. But I, you know, there were a lot of people who graduated from seminary and um, that signed the Constitution. There were a lot of Christians that did. So, but I'm not under the pretense that you know everybody. Was a gleaming, solid, you know, reformed Christian in all of these things, but the pinnings and undergirdings of our nation that has given us this freedom that we so take for granted, but sometimes I think we need to stop and actually think about this great freedom that we have. Um, was built upon this principle that we still enjoy today, and and I'll actually I don't think. Any of that stuff even goes far enough. (laughs) You know, I actually think we need biblical law to be the law of the land, not the Constitution. But that's a whole other (laughs) subject that I, you know, don't really want to. That's been, you know, a big debate within Christianity that I don't really want to get into. But so, you know, but have you ever heard this before? Some of these quotes when you had, well, they don't even call it civics anymore or history. They call it social studies, (laughs) which really is just a Marxist thing to Yeah, so have you ever heard this though in any civics class? You know, no, you probably. I've never heard of any of this stuff until I kind of started studying. So in today's culture of diversity, you know, it's politically incorrect to say that America was founded on the principles of Christianity. It wasn't found upon the principles of Islam. There wasn't any Muslims on the Mayflower. It wasn't found upon Buddhism or Deism or secular humanism or any of these other what they call imposter religions it was founded upon the principles of scripture and a christian world view plain and simple you can't escape that you know if people don't like it you know okay that's fine you know but you know for them to rewrite history and have all this revisionist history and say all of this kind of stuff you know we need to you know correct that sometimes so uh, yeah church and state basically you know what it was well first you you ask them okay well do you know where that quote even came from is that in the constitution yeah yeah it's in the first amendment well no it's technically not you could kind of go over a little bit of the history of it with it because that's key you know if you kind of tell them the history well no in 1801, there was this group of Baptists who were hearing there was going to be a national denomination, just like the Church of England or the Church of Scotland. And they were scared as Baptists that the congregational denomination was going to become the national denomination. So they wrote a letter to President Jefferson asking him, hey, is this true? And he wrote a letter back to them on January 1st, 1802, reassuring them that basically there was going to be a wall of protection between the church and the state that was going to protect their religious liberty to worship however they want according to the dictates of their own conscience. It wasn't going to be the national denomination like they had in England. They were going to have the freedom of religion to do what they want. The government couldn't encroach into their church buildings and tell them how they were to worship. It had nothing to do with, with keeping God out of government. It had everything to do with keeping the government out of the church. And again, it wasn't to restrict our religious freedom, but it was to reassure us that we could worship however we wanted. You know, so again, the First Amendment was established not to protect government from the church, but to protect the church from the government. And so it says, see, it says Congress shall not make in the first amendment it says congress shall not make an establishment of religion so again the house and the senate can't come up and say hey we're going to make uh, this national denomination we're going to tell people how to worship are we all in it together and vote on it yeah we voted on it congress has said now you can't be a baptist you have to be this congress shall not make any establishment of religion like the Church of England or Church of Scotland. It had nothing to do with keeping God out of government. So see, that's what the original intent of that was. You know, there's a lot and you can even say, well, okay, well in 1799, ten years after that, you know, um, you know, the Maryland Supreme Court said, by our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion, and all denominations Christians are placed upon equal footing and are entitled to protection of their religious liberties. These What, do these guys not know what it said 10 years ago? They were contemporaries. They could go 20 miles down the road and ask these guys who signed the Constitution, hey, what did you mean by that? You know, is my statement right? Well, yeah, they knew it was right. So again, it had nothing to do with keeping, again, God out of government. It had everything to do with keeping the government out of this church here, there was a wall that was built up that couldn't be breached or broken down like it was in the Church of England.
1: Yeah, I think oftentimes it's, it's presented as like the Berlin Wall. <laughs> you know, where East can't come to West, the West can't come to East. But that's that's not what that corresponds to. the whole book of the early church of the early. <laughs> Yes. Even the Second minute, the right of mm. the people to keep in their arms shall, shall not be, be infringed.
0: See, and like what even Adam said, this is going to be mind-blowing to some people. You know, and then you will you could tell people all this and, you know, then it just like is go right one ear and out the other, and then they'll keep saying, oh, no, 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 it's just, you know, but we have the good argument. Sometimes you just need to keep shooting the bear again and again and stuff like that, you know. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, ultimately, even if we didn't have, you know, this, the U.S. Constitution, we always will go by the dictates of what Scripture says. I don't care whatever any government body says. I don't care if it's the U.S. government and what they say. This is our, our Constitution. This is what we're going to go by, no matter what form of government says. So if this U.S. government crumbles and we have a new Constitution or they completely take this and wipe this out, we're not going to submit because this is what we go by. Not, <laughs> you know. So always keep that in perspective. All of the nations are a drop in the bucket. All nations will crumble and fall away. But this is our only lasting foundation here. So don't ever, though, get your hopes pinned up on the U.S. Constitution or the U.S. government or any president or any senator or any congressman. Our hope is not in the strength of men, or not from the chariots and from horses, but from our God in heaven. And he gives us the power and you know what, we need so we don't need the United States to sustain us as Christians. We just so need of, right, yeah, right. Right. And I'd say, I don't, you know, to the Karen at the coffee shop, I don't care what the Constitution says. God's word says go and proclaim his truth in all the lands and worship him. So that's what I'm doing. So go take your soy latte somewhere else. <laughs> you know, that's, so, you know, so ultimately let's stand upon the truth of the word of God. But I do think this is just kind of an important little bit of information to have. Like I said, I, you know, I, I'd much rather, you know, sometimes talk with, you know, about some, you know, I'd rather do some deeper theology kind of things but I just kind of think you know this is the first time I ever taught something kind of like this but I just kind of thought it's important to kind of understand uh,
1: that's
0: that's really not going on anywhere pretty much that came through a lot of supreme court decisions in the mid and later part of the 20th century, I don't know all of the different court cases, but it started to chip away. I think slowly by taking um, like Bible out of class, and then you couldn't have prayer anywhere. Like, and the Ten Commandments used to be posted, and then all of that slowly kind of you know went away. I think kind of starting around the mid 1900s, and then pretty much by the end of the 20th century you pretty much had, all of this was, you know, gone. 1960s, you know, yeah. It was it was a full flaming fire
1: at that point, you know? I mean, in the 50s, teachers would leave the class,
0: the Pledge of Allegiance, whatever you uh, like, in the reading of Scripture, and they would actually memorize verses of the Bible right. before school started in before school. Right. I mean, the first textbook that was published in the United States that was used for almost like 200 years, was the New England primer. And it pretty much almost had the whole Westminster Shorter Catechism and, you know, how kids memorize the alphabet and Adam's fall, we all sinned. You know, and it used all these little pithy sayings from Scripture, um, you know, and all the stuff. And this was one of the main textbooks that was used you know, for 200 years in all of these schools. And, again, there was daily Bible readings all of the time. It was almost like the Amish schoolhouses, you know, and stuff like that. But now look at what we got, you know, LGBT studies and, you know, teaching kids five years old about homosexual relations and, you know, every other religion has its week where you learn about, you know, Islam and then you learn about Buddhism. But Christianity, if it's ever talked about, well, that's just a bunch of white evil guys, you know, that, you know, killed everybody and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But
1: interestingly enough, in those days, you didn't have to worry about teachers getting their head busted over at their desk yeah. by, by students, right? You yeah. had to ask yourself the question, why?
0: Right. Right. right, right.
1: Now, how do you have morality apart
0: from... You know, <laughs> it's, just, yeah. right? so it's pretty important yeah. to do that at that point. Yeah. Teachers used to worry about getting spitballed, now they worry about getting their head blown off. You know, girls used to worry about maybe a guy kind of looking at them like this, now they're worried about getting gang raped in the bathroom. And it all comes from a certain place. You want to kick God out? Okay. Well, this is what you're now going to get. It's either always this short little saying, it's Christ or chaos. Nothing else. In individuals' lives and in nations' lives, it's either Christ or absolute Chaos. No in between. There's the myth of neutrality. There's no neutrality. All right. Well, that will be it for today, and I'll end us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we don't thank you enough that we do have this freedom. Let us be thankful today that we can come into this building and we can worship you freely according to the dictates of your word. And, Lord, we ultimately know that this doesn't come down from a body of people in Washington, D.C., but it comes down from your loving hand, Lord. And let us not take this for granted. So let us bask in the days that we can worship you in spirit and in truth and gather together here on this Lord's Day and worship you freely. And we thank you that we have your written word, and we have all of this stuff today. But we have so much, but we do so little. Lord, please forgive us for the way we have sinned against you, Lord, and renew us again today to worship you with a heart of with a heart of truth, according to your word. And we thank you for all that you have given to us, Lord, that we sometimes take for granted. Let us be a thankful people today and this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.